Hi everyone and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 22 of the 2018-2019 curling season. In our first podcast of 2019, we catch up with Brendan Botcher, who skipped his team to their first ever Grand Slam title at the Canadian Open this weekend in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. We also preview this week's Continental Cup in Las Vegas with the coach of Team World, David Murdoch, and the coach of Team North America, Jeff Stoughton, along with John Kilran, who is the event manager for the Continental Cup. All that and more this week, but first... Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.asham.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of week 22 of the 2018-2019 curling season is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. The big event on the curling schedule last weekend was the fifth Grand Slam event of the season, the Canadian Open in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. It has been an incredible season so far for Team Homan. Not only did the team win its third Grand Slam of the season with a 4-3 win over Team Tiranzoni in the final at the Canadian Open, but Rachel Homan and Joanne Courtney have both recently announced that they are expecting their first child. The men's championship at the Canadian Open came down to a battle between Team Epping, looking for their second slam victory of the season, and Team Botcher looking for their first career slam title. Team Botcher came out on top 6-3, and Skip Brendan Botcher joined from the hack to discuss the Canadian Open and also to look ahead to the Alberta Playdowns. Well, Brendan, it's been a little bit over 24 hours now. How does it feel to have gotten that first career Grand Slam title? Uh, it's, it's just awesome. Uh, I think it caps off a really good season we've been having so far. I think we've been a team that's been sort of on the cusp of a big game win, uh, and it certainly feels nice to get this one under our belt, and hopefully it frees us up to have a few more here in the second half of the year. You had not played in about a month on the World Curling Tour heading into North Battleford for the Canadian Open. What was your prep like ahead of the event, and how long did it take you to feel like you had found your groove early on in the event? 
I wouldn't say a, a whole ton. I mean, we're, we're practicing a ton, and we were certainly practicing a lot over the Christmas break. I was out in bounce just the weekend before playing a mixed doubles event, so I felt reasonably fresh. But, you know, our team in general has decided this year that we were going to take it a little bit lighter, and especially this year in the Olympic cycle, it's a good one to rest and recover and take care of a lot of the things we need to take care of off the ice. So I, I think that's helped free us up in some ways that we're not going quite as hard. And really, uh, a week or two before the event, as long as we get a lot of practice in, I, I don't feel like we're missing anything or that there's a whole bunch of rust we got to shake off before we can get going again. Getting through the A qualifier is always nice, but was it even perhaps more important in North Battleford because it was your first event back from a break? It's always nice to wean your way back in a little bit in your first event after an extended break as opposed to getting caught up in the C qualifier rat race where you play a lot of games in a row. Oh, for sure. And it was actually quite an interesting week for us because we played our three games through the A in about 30 hours. And then we had 49 hours off, and then we played three games back-to-back in the playoffs. So it, to me, it sort of felt like two separate events. Um, but definitely nice. I, we were on a roll, and when you're on a roll, it's pretty easy to go out there and keep playing. But, you know, we play so many games in a season, and every chance you have to go through the A-side and play a few less and keep your sweepers a little bit more fresh, and I, I, I think that all adds up at the end of the year for sure. To follow up on something you just said, uh, Brendan, uh, you hadn't played in some 49 hours when the playoffs started. Were you at all concerned that the ice conditions may have changed over that time, which could have given your opponent in the quarterfinal an advantage? A little bit. Uh, We were out once. We had about 25 minutes of practice on our off day. So we got a chance to at least throw on it and feel loose. Um, And otherwise, all those games were on TV, so... For the most part, we were sitting back in the hotel watching some curling, just making sure we were focused. And, and the ice looked like it was holding up good, and both Mark and Greg, the two ice makers out there, were both pretty happy, and they were telling us as the week was going on that they didn't see it changing a whole bunch. So you take a little bit of confidence from that, too. The next big event on your schedule is the Alberta Playdowns in February, where you will be one of the favorites along with uh, Team Kevin Cooey. You've won Provincials twice in a row, but Team Cooey has not been there in either year. Would it mean any extra for you to three-peat at Provincials with Team Cooey in the field? I I wouldn't say so, actually. You know, we did win back-to-back, and we won back-to-back undefeated both years. I felt like we proved ourselves there a little bit. I certainly think, like, at the Briar last year, we definitely proved ourselves. Definitely the season we're having this year, I, I feel like we belong, and I feel like all the other top teams are playing us that way. And really, at our provincials, there will be two of the top five teams in the world battling it out. And one of us will come through, and the other one will probably have a second crack through the play-in game. And that, that's all you can really ask for. I'm looking forward to having probably three good battles against those guys, certainly a couple. And yeah, hopefully we can come through that way, and if not, we'll have to find our way at the Briar another way. But I, I wouldn't say it's really any more or less valuable to have won when they were there versus not. And finally, Brendan, you and Darren Molding seem to have an interesting yin-yang thing going on on your team. How have you and Darren gone about finding that balance where he can be so energetic and loud and expressive during games, while you seem to be much quieter and analytical on the ice during competition? 
Well, I think in a lot of ways we both bring out the best in each other. So definitely my default is more of a calm, logical, analytical approach with not a whole pile of emotion. Uh, and there are times when I need someone to get me back on track, get me refocused, sort of get me laughing for a few minutes, even if that's all it is. And I think for Darren, he's super emotional and super passionate and he cares so much and every once in a while he needs someone to step in and just provide a little bit of firm grounding and I think between the the two of us we have a really good dynamic going that way certainly for me he he's such a good supporter and he's such a good supporting cast member for me as the skip and that's all I can really ask for in other curling action this weekend, Carrie Galusha of the Northwest Territories, Kelly Turpin of Newfoundland Labrador, and Suzanne Burt of PEI and their teams each secured a spot at this year's Scotties in Sydney, Nova Scotia, while John Likely of PEI secured a spot in the Tim Hortons Briar. Over in Europe, Team Sidorova won the International Bernese Ladies Cup with a 7-3 win over Team Zhang of China. In mixed doubles play, John Morris won yet another title, this time partnering with Jolene Campbell to defeat the Scottish duo of Sterling and Kingen 7-6 in the final of the Cali Mixed Doubles Classic in Regina, while the Russian team of Venevtseva and Groshev defeated Blaine and Bryce of Scotland 6-5 in the final of the Dutch Masters. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster or women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg and their countrymen Team Adine, or how about the top Canadian teams Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Kerry Anderson and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. The 2019 Continental Cup is taking place this weekend in Las Vegas and our next guest is John Killeran, the local event manager for the Continental Cup who tells us what both players and fans can expect in Vegas this weekend and we also discuss with him the impact that the Continental Cup which is being contested in Vegas for the fourth time in six years has had on the local curling scene. So, John, tell me what uh, Continental Cup week is like for players off the ice. Uh, what, if anything, is done to ensure that they have a good experience at the Continental Cup in Las Vegas? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is right from the very start at the airport when they fly in, we have groups to greet them out there at the airport, uh, including myself, and then uh, we get them into some very nice private rides, uh, anything from luxury SUVs to limousines, uh, depending on the size of the group. Um, so that it's, it's a bit of a different experience than they have elsewhere, uh, and, and they kind of get that Vegas touch right as they uh, arrive in the, in the city. Uh, a lot of the teams, and it's the same this year, they'll come a day or two early uh, so that they can enjoy some of the things that uh, Vegas has to offer in the surrounding areas, which includes uh, very easy from here to take uh, you know, helicopter tours of the Grand Canyon and Hoover Dam and, and the Las Vegas Strip um, and, and some uh, – uh, out to Red Rock, which is a really nice desert area near here that uh, you can do Jeep tours in. And a lot of the teams over the years have come in and done things like that, been very interested in doing that. And, and of course, the other things that Vegas has to offer the shows, usually uh, the teams, uh, usually on the Tuesday night, uh, they've all arrived by then, and they'll go out somewhere on the town, have a nice dinner, and see a show. Um, and, and these are all things that, that, again, that Las Vegas has that are so unique to the city 
Uh, and certainly the players, by coming early, staying late, uh, get all their curling in and, and have the great competition that they usually have here. Uh, but in the meantime, have a great time, too. The fans are also an important part of the Continental Cup. What does the organizing committee do to ensure that the fans also have a unique experience when in Vegas to attend the Continental Cup? Yeah, and, and again, that starts really uh, early on before the competition even starts. On the Wednesday night, we do a free opening ceremony. It's preceded by a grand march of the athletes, which is super popular. The athletes usually are part of a opening reception with the sponsors and whatnot. And then from that, uh, we literally marched them down through the hotel, right, right through the casino, uh, full band, uh, pipers, whatnot, and uh, through the indoor walkway to the arena. And uh, usually the fans, the attendees, are lining it as if it were a parade route, truly a parade route. And uh, so that's a lot of fun. The players get a kick out of that. Uh, it's another way of the many ways in which the players uh, interact with, with the fans. I mean, I don't think we're, we're surprising any of us that curling is such a social sport. And uh, the athletes uh, really take that to heart when they're here as well. So for the fans, the experience starts even before the competition. Uh, we are keeping at least a piece of what we uh, debuted with the World Men's last April, and that is the world's only patch uh, party gathering spot that is at an outdoor pool. Uh, and we will be having the outdoor pool patch uh, during uh, the time between the morning and afternoon draws this week, uh, give people a chance to be outside uh, in some warmer temperatures, uh, the pool will be open, uh, and uh, we'll have some great things, including the women's team's autograph session is going to be out there uh, next Saturday. So uh, we have those kind of things as well. And so it's, it's just little unique things uh, with the patch at night uh, that's indoors here at the hotel. We're having an in-the-house party um, uh, this Friday that's going to take the patch and have a lot of prize giveaways and just a lot of fun just, again, to keep the, the not only the, the social nature – but to give the, the fans an opportunity to experience things like they don't at other curling events. What's the typical makeup of the crowd at a Las Vegas Continental Cup? I get the sense that many Canadian curling fans make the trip to watch them curling, but also to get away from the cold. I, I would say, you know, look, the majority of the fans are definitely Canadian. They're either coming down from the north and those cold temperatures, or they're snowbirding it in the southwest especially, and it's a short trip, drive, or plane trip to, to get to Las Vegas for the event. Uh, so that remains the, the majority of, of the fans. However, uh, the U.S. was growing, and now with uh, Team John Schuster, who will be competing here at the Continental Cup with their gold medal victory uh, last February in Pyeongchang at the Olympics, um, that certainly, I think, moved the needle even some more. And, and we've seen steady growth in the uh, number of fans from the United States that are, are coming to curling events in, in Las Vegas. Um, with the Continental Cup, we used not to see too many world fans, but we do have a contingent, especially the family and friends of the teams that are, are competing, um, coming in. So I, I think that the Team World will have a few more cheers in the, uh, in the sections this time around than they might have had in previous years. This will be the fourth time that Vegas hosts the Continental Cup, and the city hosted the Men's World Championships last spring. Has this led to a growth in the sport, in the popularity of curling in the Las Vegas area? Well, I think the uh, the thing that we do see is, is like I said, that growth uh, throughout the United States. And then also when it comes to uh, uh, being in, in Nevada, you know, there is a Las Vegas Curling Club down here. And, and bless the two dozen or so that have been keeping it going over the years when they were getting just a little bit of ice time late on a Sunday night at the local arena. But what happened is the Vegas Golden Knights came in here uh, uh, in the NHL and built a new uh, – training facility along with recreational rink in another part of town so it suddenly doubled the number of recreational facilities uh, for ice and so things got spread around a little bit more which opened up more ice time at the las vegas ice center for the curling club 
So with more ice time available, uh, they're growing their numbers. Um, and, and that's great, uh, because something we're seeing throughout the United States is that learn to curls are, are almost overpopulated. There's a, a great demand on learning the sport, um, and, and, uh, either not enough spaces to get them in or in some places not enough yet certified coaches. So, you know, the gold medal has been a great thing, uh, for Team Schuster in the U.S. because it's certainly brought awareness and interest. And uh, I think that that interest isn't waning, and now there's more opportunities happening. So through time, I think it'll just be a continued growth here in the United States for the sport, both in participation as well as attendance at elite events. Some new formats this season with the addition of the scramble format at the Continental Cup in Vegas. It certainly sounds like an intriguing new format for both the players and fans. Yeah, I think you know, intriguing is exactly the right word. And one of the things I love about the Continental Cup over the years before this team scramble stuff came along is the fact that uh, one of the things I love about the sport is men and women compete on the same surface with the same equipment. There's no change like we see in golf where the women play from forward tees. Uh, this is one of the few sports, I think bowling and other, that, that everybody competes on the same field of play with the same kind of equipment. Uh, and in the Continental Cup, you take that another step further where men and women before mixed doubles ever existed were competing together and against each other. So it already was very unique. And I think, uh, you know, Curling Canada, which owns the event and therefore, you know, has the, the purview to make these kind of changes, um, looked at this and talked with the players and, and kind of came up with a format again that is going to bring a very unique nature. You know, it's funny when we got involved after the first or second year and I kind of got my feet wet for 2017, I had suggested, what if we did a draft? Like kind of what the NHL does for their all-star games in the past and things like that or what the NBA does now. And, um, uh, there was some thought about doing it, including having the fans have a certain say in, in what was going on. Um, and I think while we weren't able to accomplish it for 17, that also might have helped lead to what we're, you know, now seeing uh, with the team scramble here. I think it's going to be very exciting. I think, you know, a lot of the questions we answer from fans as the, the event draws near is, well, who's playing when? And that's another thing unique about the Continental Cup. We don't know. In other words, the coaches and captain uh, for the Team North America, the Team World, make those decisions generally no more than 48 hours in front of the day of that competition. So we won't know who's playing this Thursday even until probably Tuesday or Wednesday at the earliest this week. And that kind of continues on through the entirety of the event. And finally, John, the players love playing uh, the Continental Cup in Vegas and the fans enjoy traveling to Vegas to watch. Is this an event that you and your group would be interested in bringing back to Vegas in the future? Well, I think, you know, one of the things we look at is – is um, I, I think that, uh, you know, right now we always look at one year at a time uh, and see how things are going. Uh, certainly the Continental Cup uh, with now, you know, four times in six years uh, in Las Vegas has certainly uh, earned a niche there. Uh, the World Men's Championship was, was a strong player uh, here in the market, uh, you know, last year. And uh, I, I think we'll always look at that. There's nothing set in stone, pardon the pun, <laughs> if you will, right now. But uh, certainly we're always open to, to looking at the Continental Cup and anything. And I think, you know, it's a unique venue, uh, you know, to come to for curling. And it's no disrespect to other cities and towns across the world that host events. Um, Las Vegas, in just about any way you look at it, is a pretty unique city around the world. And, and then with that, uh, that we'd like to part, that's why I think the Continental Cup works well here, is because it's a unique event within the sport of curling. So if it isn't the Continental Cup, I think it would have to be something that brings a very unique twist or, 
or something different to the curling world uh, than the regular events for the world championships and the uh, and, and things like you see the Briar, the Scotties, or U.S. Nationals, things like that. The world team that will try to snap a six-year losing streak at this year's Continental Cup consists of Team Hasselberg and Team Adin of Sweden, Team Muirhead and Team Maud of Scotland, as well as Team Tiernzoni and Team De Cruz of Switzerland. They will face a strong North American team that consists of Team Jennifer Jones, Team Homan, Team Gushu and Team Kui of Canada, along with Team Schuster and Team Sinclair of the United States. From the Hack was joined by the coaches of both teams, starting with David Murdoch, who was 2-5 and five as a competitor in the Continental Cup and will be coaching for the first time. David, how much interaction did you have with the players on Team World ahead of an event like the Continental Cup this year in Las Vegas, especially when it comes to figuring out who will play with who and when in the different formats, especially with all the, the interesting new formats like Scramble uh, in the mix and in men and in women going on this year? This year, this year, Posey's... Um... A little bit, um, a little more difficulty with the with choosing the lineups actually with, with a new format with more mixed doubles, the team scramble, mixed play. Um, so that's that's made it rather challenging. Uh, myself and Freddie and Christopher, uh, they're all the coaches that have been you know doing a lot of work in the background, just trying to figure out how we play things because we've got a lot to think about with with team world, a little language to think about as well. So. Um, that makes it a little bit more tricky. So it's it's required a lot of effort, I have to say, to, to get everything in a place where we can say we're we're, we're comfortable fielding the teams. So um, you know we, we've had a lot of conversations with the, the teams as well, just to see what would what would fit, what, where they see some things happening as well. So uh, we like to think we've got it, uh, we've got it in a good spot now, and uh, hopefully the guys can go out there and, and play well. There are some players on Team World that do have some experience in the different Continental Cup formats outside of what they may have experienced in previous editions of the Continental Cup. As an example, Sven Michel of Team De Cruz and Lena Patz of Team Turnzoni won the World Mixed Doubles Championship in 2011, and several of the Team World players have competed at the World or European Mixed Championships. Is part of the plan to put players that have experience in these formats, sometimes with each other, on the ice together in Vegas? Yeah, I think we've looked at a number of factors. We've looked at who's played together before. Uh, we've a number of people who've played mixed up, tried to combine them. Uh, and also, we've got a lot of experience in this team with the Continental Cup. So we've seen Anna and Nicholas you know, back again this year. Um, Savannah and her team are back. So, um, you know, that just helps you just uh, figure a few things out. You see what worked last year. You're trying to fit in the the new team coming in, the new players, uh, and make it all fit. But, yeah, there's there's a lot to look at. There's obviously, you know, who's played with each other before. We've tried a few things out with uh, some of our Scottish teams back home to see what's fit. So we've done a little experiment, and let's see that. Now, the Continental Cup may not count in the world rankings, but there is money and bragging rights at stake. Are some of the players, especially people like Nicodine and Eve Muirhead, that have been members of uh, several of the teams during this current losing streak, starting to feel the pressure of finally ending that streak? Absolutely. It's uh, it's getting rather frustrating to be, <laughs> to be on that end of the big streak. And, you know, we, we really thought we had them last year, and uh, barring one shot, we, we would have ended that streak. And, and that's unfortunate. You know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a, such a tough event. You get so many uh, different disciplines within it. Uh, you're combining teams from all over the globe, trying to make a make a team gel, make it work. You're in a uh, you're in a team change that's quite often different to the one you've known, and you've got a crowd that's cheering against you. So there's 
the number of factors that make it a little bit more difficult for for Team World, but that's not to say that we uh, don't want to um, push as hard as we can because we, we absolutely hate, uh, hate the fact that we've not won for a while and, and we're going to do our best to do something about that. The new scramble format may be fun for fans, but how difficult will it be for the players and coaches having to adapt to new players, deliveries, tendencies, etc., so quickly in an event where every game is important and there will not be much time to get used to new teammates for the scramble draws? I think that's going to be the, the real challenge, and it's why I really like it. I, you know, I had a lot of conversations with Noel when he was uh, devising putting this in, but you know, we see a lot of the team on TV, and uh, you know, these guys are getting so good and making every shot. Well, you know, putting some teams together that they've got a little bit more to figure out. They've got to, you know, communicate about different ways. And obviously, we've got some language uh, differences there. And, you know, that challenge. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's really exciting to see something different. And it's going to be the team that can really communicate well, I think. We can talk about what weights they need to have, how they're going to um, position a lot of the stones with the sweeping and different personnel on your team. So, from that point of view, it's, uh, I think it's going to be super exciting. It's going to be one of the best uh, one of the best things to watch out of there. Now, Team Moet will be the fresh faces this year at the Continental Cup competing for the first time. What are you expecting from the lads in Las Vegas? You know, the, these guys have had, um, had such a great run over the last year or so and, and really are um, pushing on tremendously well. Um, the thing of thing I'm looking for from those guys is uh, you know you just have to enjoy the biggest the biggest pressure you actually have is the fact that you you don't want to let your your other teammates down on, on the on the rest of the team and, and that's a, that's the real tough part about it all so from that point of view you know I've spoke with the guys they're super excited to play in the first uh, first event um, but they've the good news is for them they've they've been here they were here for uh, the World Championships where they delivered a, a lot of bronze so you know it's not too it's not too different they just need to to go out and play well and, and then uh, when it comes to the different disciplines it's uh, it's figuring out with your partner and finally david many observers seem to think that the continental cup uh, picks up in intensity on the saturday afternoon or on the sunday depending what the score is how important will it be for you as coach to make sure that the team is focused for the first draw onwards because those points on thursday and friday well they matter as much as the points on the weekend yeah, I think my my experience last year being nothing was that you know every every draw from first end to the eighth is just swinging back, but it's it's North America, it's Team World, it's back again, and and see that every day. It's just trying to keep some sort of momentum, and that's that's really the thing. You know, um, you'll you'll get teams that go and big winning streak, other players on your team that that just don't, and, and it's just trying to get that whole ethos of of trying to get the win, uh, you know we've done a lot of work behind the scenes to try and uh, to try and get us in a really good place for for getting this win and getting the trophy back. So from that point of view, um, you know there's there's a real good uh, team spirit already, uh, and we've got the head play at the event to just see if there's anything extra we can uh, make sure we switch on with to help get get the win and get get, get us over the line. Jeff Stoughton is also a first-time coach who was 1-1 one one in his two appearances as a Continental Cup participant in 2012 and 2014. Jeff, how much interaction did you have with the players on Team North America ahead of the event so that uh, you could uh, perhaps figure out who will play with who and when, especially with the new formats uh, being introduced this season? Yeah, um, 
not a whole lot. I mean, we uh, there's been a bunch of emails sent around just for the uh, scramble, the teams, scramble on the teams. And for mixed doubles, there were some obvious matches just because they've played together before. But other than that, we just sort of threw a bunch of names together and sent it to the teams and said, here you go, what do you think? So there's been a, a few calls back, but other than that, really pretty simple and they're pretty accommodating, that's for sure. Now, I can appreciate that the Continental Cup is a fun event, but both teams want to win. Do you leave yourself some wiggle room in your lineup so that if a team or an individual player simply can't find a groove in the first couple of days, you might make some changes in your anticipated lineup later in the weekend to protect those players as best you can and give your team as good a chance as possible to win the event? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the the mixed is a little bit different again this year just because they've added more mixed doubles. Uh, So the mixed is a scramble as well. I think you're only, you know, every team has to represent two players. So that one we haven't made the teams yet just because, like you said, we're sort of waiting to see who's who's performing well and who's uh, catching on to the ice and that. So that one will wait to the end. And you're right. I think that's sort of part of the strategy. Uh, I know all the teams, and lucky enough I've played in it a couple times, it, it's incredible, but once it gets down to do or die, uh, it gets pretty serious out there. So I know they all want to win, so they, they're very comfortable with any type of changes you want to make uh, during the end of the week for sure. When it comes to the scramble teams, uh, did you go to each of the skips and ask them which third they'd like to be paired with, or are you and the coaching team making those decisions based on different factors, such as perhaps putting Sarah Anderson, who's never competed in the Continental Cup, with a skip such as Jennifer Jones, who seems to adapt well to temporary thirds, if adding Shannon Burchard for the Scotties last year and winning the event is any indication. Well, that goes hand in hand. I mean, lucky enough that all these teams, the North American ones anyway, have all played uh, together or against each other, I guess, at the slams and other events. So they've all been chatting and trying to figure out their best combination. So really, it was fairly straightforward. They, you know, sent the suggestions and everyone agreed. And and across the board, it looks like, you know, what we've done is the, the skips and the leads are sticking together, uh, same players from the same team. And that's just that comfort zone of uh, knowing and having someone that's able to read your, as a skip, your release, and able to really relate the draw weight. So that's the most important thing from there. And as for the second and thirds, they're kind of mixed up all over the place. But, uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with having an experienced player with a rookie, that's for sure. You just mentioned that players pick it up a little bit as the weekend moves along and the event nears its conclusion, which is not unlike what happens uh, at NBA and NHL All-Star Games, where the end of the game is typically much more competitive than at the start. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of joking on and lots of fun early on and about as many points on the line. And then as as soon as the players uh, get close to Saturday night and Sunday, uh, the seriousness and the camaraderie goes you know comes out i mean it, it it's an amazing transformation really because like you just said everyone these teams are highly competitive the players are really competitive and they all they want to do is win and so the first two days are it's you know it's a lot of fun a lot of joking around with the teams having fun with the audience but then the the switch is flicked and the, the teams take it very serious and and uh it's kind of interesting to see the transformation from uh you know having a lot of fun out there to actually you know, bearing down and, and wanting to make shots. So a lot of pride on the line, and uh, like and exactly as your example was, uh, yeah, it's fun for a couple of days, and then it gets pretty serious when it gets close to someone actually uh, winning the championship. And finally, Jeff, one of the knocks uh, that some people have against the Continental Cup is that it lacks a little intensity, in part because the players on both teams know each other so well and many of them are good friends. I realize that there's not much that can be done about that, but do you believe it has a legitimate impact on the intensity of the event? 
Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, you know, everyone's very comfortable with one another, and that's uh, you know that's just due to the number of events that all these players, men and women, are playing at, and everyone gets very comfortable and at ease with the the I guess the the competitors. So it it is hard to ramp it up and have some rivalries and and uh, and, and animosity or whatever you want to call it. Just because they're very comfortable with one another. So it, it would be very hard to do that. I think to take it more seriously, it, which is hard because, you know, when you're throwing out uh, mixed doubles where players haven't played together, you're throwing in a scramble where skips don't know how the other players are releasing the rock or how much weight they throw for hits. Um, you know, it makes for, for difficult uh, shot making and, and sometimes a, a lot of misses in a game. Um, you know, so the only thing they really could do to maybe ramp up the intensity is to, for these players anyway, would be to, you know, make it an all-or-nothing event where winner takes all and loser goes home with their uh, tail between their legs and and increase the purse as much as possible to make it uh, really important not to just have shits and giggles out there. So, you know, I think that would be the only way that these players would uh, respond in a way that, uh, yeah, we just want to beat the Europeans as badly as possible and move on. So um, I don't know if that will ever happen, but... Uh, that might be the only way to make it really competitive and where teams are, uh, you know, not just out there goofing around and having fun, which there's nothing wrong with because, uh, t- trust me, it's a long, grinding season, so it is great to be able to uh, relax and have a little fun out on the ice on something that you enjoy so much and put on a show for the player, for the fans and for the TV audience. And that does it for our first podcast of 2019 and for week 22 of the 2018-2019 curling season. A big thank you to each of our guests and to all of you for listening. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.